Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team sales? Have you tried training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. It is hard to believe that it is already August, and our new theme for the month of August is handling objections. Here on the podcast, we're going to be talking to our guests about it, and you can check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team at criteriaforsuccess.com blog. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today's guest is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, trainer, professor, wife, and mom of three. She is a busy, busy woman. <laughs> she is the author of an excellent book called Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, and she actually has a podcast of herself, which is called The Roadmap to Grow Your Business. She is based in beautiful North Carolina, so welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today, Stacey Brown Randall. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. So I just obviously shared some of the highlights of your bio. There's a lot in there, but um, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe talk a little bit about where your passion for business or sales began and what were some of the key steps on your journey? Sure. So, you know, when I look back at my past, I really see this portfolio career. I really see, I kind of look back and I think about the jobs that I had and the companies that I worked for, and then the two businesses that I've had, the one I have now and the one I had in my past, which I'll definitely talk about in just a moment. But, you know, I look back and I think I have this, I look at this portfolio career of all these different things that if you looked at them, like just one by one, like in a vacuum by themselves, you can, you can see, obviously, different things that I've done, but I think when you look at all of them together, they have uniquely prepared me for really where I am today. I do have a background in sales and marketing. I worked um, in the publishing industry for a while. I actually have a background in HR, so I worked in HR for a while as well. Um, and so when you look at my background, there's all these different um, careers and jobs and stuff that I had that really gave me this great understanding of business. And then, of course, of some of the things that I'm particularly good at, which I like to think of, but you know, with it speaking, communication, um, some training, sales, marketing, how that background as well, and then understanding people with my HR background. Um, but I always knew, even when I got out of college and I was starting to work for different companies and kind of moving through my 20s and my career and stuff, I always knew that I would like to be an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur is not an unusual thing in my family. I know most people can't say that, but we have lots of entrepreneurs in my family. The problem with them, though, is they also in one industry, um, and they're all in the restaurant business, which I wanted absolutely nothing to do with. We have one in the hospitality industry, and then the restaurant own restaurants for the most part. And hospitality isn't all that different, honestly. So <laughs> it really is right, right. It's like hotels and then restaurants. I mean, it's all kind of the same. And so I knew, like, being an entrepreneur is like you know, that's I sit around the Thanksgiving table, right, and I look around at my aunts and my uncles and my even my husband and my brother and my mom and you know my grandmother, and I see all these entrepreneurs, but in this one industry. And I knew it was like the one thing I didn't want for myself. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, just not like them. I didn't want to own a restaurant. And my father and I were kind of the two that were a little bit different. He was an author. Um, so he was his own business owner, um, but as an author. And so I kind of knew that, you know, there was something else that I could do as a business owner. 
But when I started working, I didn't know what that was going to be. I didn't know what it looked like. So that's why, like anyone else, when I got a job, then trying to figure out what would I start a company on? What am I good at? What will I be willing to do? Not just on day 30, but day like, you know, 300,032, right? Like what would I be passionate about, right? What would I be passionate about that would kind of carry me through? And so through my career, um, I actually ended up starting a first company. I was an HR consulting firm and I had big name clients like KPMG, uh, Coca-Cola Bottle and Consolidated, Ally Bank. It's a really big name clients. Um, but that business would actually go on to fail four years later. Almost, it would almost make it to the five-year mark, but not quite. So somewhere in its fourth year, it would go on to fail. And I learned so many lessons from starting a business and then watching it fall apart completely and waving the white flag of surrender, having to go back to corporate America and get a job, and then being able to figure out a plan B, um, getting certified as a business and productivity coach and starting a second business. And it was with starting that second business that you and I are having this conversation we're having today because I had to figure out how to fill the pipeline of prospects, but do it in a way that I was willing to do it. I could talk to anyone and have a sales conversation with people but it was getting them right to have that conversation with that. I realized in my first business, I didn't have a system behind constantly filling the pipeline of new clients. So when I started my second business, I was like, Hey, business failure, not an option. Can't get through that again for lots of reasons. And so I started paying attention to well, then how you're going to fill the pipeline. That was a big lesson I learned from my first business. Instead of just focusing on doing the client work, it's also focusing on filling the the pipeline in an ongoing way. And so I started paying attention to what what am I going to do? I don't want a cold call, right? I don't want a cold email. I don't want to spend a ton of time networking. I've got three kids under the age of 11 right now. And back then they were even babies. So from that perspective, I was like, what am I going to do? And I settled on referrals. I was like, referrals are awesome. I just need people to send me referrals. So I did research. And I was like, okay, great. How do I get referrals? I want referrals to be the source that fills my pipeline of prospects. And then all the advice was horrible. All the advice was, well, just go ask, right? Go ask for those referrals. Go pay for those referrals. And I was like, nope, I got to figure out a different way. And so I really just kind of like fumbled around as I was figuring out how to generate referrals, paying attention to the human dynamic and psychology behind them. How do you get them without asking? What does that look like? Because I had to make my coaching practice successful. And that was, I think, the drive that helped me push through when I couldn't always figure it out. And then when I realized that my business was exploding in growth and it was coming through referrals and it was referrals I didn't ask for. And every year I got over a hundred referrals. I never worried where my clients were coming from. And it became a system I could count on. Then I started, my clients who happen to be small business owners themselves started saying, how are you growing so fast? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm getting referrals. They're like, oh, you're asking for them. I'm like, have I ever asked you for a referral? They're like, wait, no, no, you haven't. I was like, no, I'm not asking for them. And so they were like, teach me that. And my whole business transitioned and changed to that point as I started teaching, you know, my coaching clients, this system, this model. And as I taught it, I honed it into like these five steps and really being able to pay attention to how we generate referrals without asking. And which is always the number one objection I always get from people when they're like, I'm going to teach you to get referrals. And they're like, I don't want to ask. I'm like, good. I don't either. Let's not. Um, and so it's really interesting to just watch how my business has evolved now, helping people generate referrals without asking, truly starting because I didn't want a second business to end up as a failure like my first business. I absolutely love that because I think there are two things that often happen when people fail. Um, and unfortunately, the thing that happens most often is people view a failure of an activity that they were doing or of an enterprise that they had started out on 
as a personal failure of themselves. They think I am a failure and they, they don't try again. And that's not okay. Right. And what's so important is to say my business failed. I didn't fail. My business failed. What, what failed, you know, what caused it to fail? Maybe it was actions I took. Certainly you don't avoid taking blame, but it's not all my fault. And there are things I did right. And what can I learn from and not do again? You know, I actually had a very similar situation that I recognized and I was kind of hearing myself a bit in your story. I wasn't an entrepreneur that had started a business, but I was working for a very small business and it failed because of a lack of sales and because um, there, were, there was a business coming in and so everybody got let go. And so I, because I wasn't involved in sales, didn't have a way that I could contribute to making things work out. And that's a really disempowering, really unpleasant place to be, to see a business failing around you and you can't be the one to solve it. And so it's funny that I always said I wouldn't work in small business again. And somehow I, I found myself here at Criteria for Success as a small business, but we're a sales growth company. And so I help our clients, I help us, I contribute to um, helping people avoid that problem that I, I experienced the pain of. You know, we work with companies so that they don't fail because they can't sell. And I think a lot of times if you can take a lesson and learn from it in a positive way, it's amazing the growth that you can have. So that's a really inspirational story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Stacey. Oh, yes, my pleasure. And I think it's important. And I like what you said at the beginning is, is that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you really carry this badge of honor with your business failure. Like I even have like a, a badge. It's like the membership club badge of the, being a business failure. And they're like, you really like, like you carry it like it's a badge of honor. I'm like, it's not necessarily a badge of honor as much as it is a reminder of what I was able to overcome. And what I'm not, but my business was. And I think you just have to be honest and open with yourself. Look, my business failed. There's no way around it. I can't sugarcoat it. I can't spin it. But that doesn't have to define my future. But it is a powerful kick in the pants when I find myself getting a little complacent in my current business. You know, I look up, I have the nameplate from the job I had to take. There's a nameplate outside my office door. When my business failed, I took a job and I had a nameplate outside my office door. And when I left, I asked them if I could take it with me. And they looked at me like I had 13 heads. They were like, what? And I was like, I need it. And it sits above the door frame in my office. And anytime I look up, which is I face the door. So anytime I look up, I see what it says, right? Stacey Brown Randall, chief talent officer. Like I see it and I'm like, nope, we are not going back there. And it's a great motivation. That is wonderful. That's like, um, I know sports teams, when they're in a championship, they'll have material up on the whiteboard or on the on the chart within their office. Like here are all the bad things that the other team has said about you. Let's print off the the newspaper article where they said you'd never win. And you've got kind of that equivalent there of like motivation of definitely not going back. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So you have touched on this. You talk a lot about getting referrals without asking for them. I think that is something that a lot of people are interested in. A lot of people are concerned about. They think, how exactly would that work? Don't I need to ask? So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So here's the thing. I tell f folks all the time that we have been taught some old school referral triggers. So, you know, as you guys know, a lot of things in sales, right, they happen because something's triggered. Actually, things happen in life because you're triggered. The alarm clock goes off, right? You're triggered to take an action when the alarm clock goes off. You're either going to hit the snooze button or get out of bed, right? 
So most actions we take in life come because there's a trigger that's triggering that action in us. And sales is no different, right? There's a trigger, typically the pain in that side of our prospect that they know they need to solve the problem. Sometimes that trigger may be the conversation you have where you help them discover the pain that they have so and that they need to solve their problem. But the idea behind it is referrals are kind of the same way. They're still triggered like just about anything else. But we've been taught these old school referral triggers for decades and decades. So if you think the only way to generate a referral is if you are willing to ask for them or pay for them or be really overly promotional and gimmicky, it's not your fault. You've been taught this for decades because in the past, I really believe that people were looking just like we look for in sales and everything else in life is the trigger to make the referral happen. And so if we're in prospecting mentality or marketing mentality, we think about, okay, so what can trigger a a referral to happen when I'm thinking about it from a prospecting mentality. And a prospecting mentality is short term. It's I want to go to this networking event and meet three people and hopefully one of them right, will want to have a conversation with me about maybe doing business with me. Or I'm going to dial these 40 cold calls and I'm hoping that two people will answer and one will actually want to take a meeting with me. So when you take a prospecting mentality, which a lot of people who've taught referrals in the past have done, and you're like, okay, so then what's the trigger to make it happen quickly? Well, asking is. It's just not a very effective way. And that's the issue. Everybody can ask, but we all know if we're not willing to ask, it's because we know A, it's not working and B, it makes everybody uncomfortable. And C, then we get labeled that person who's always asking because asking is the trigger, which means to trigger the referral, you have to always be asking. And that's what people get really uncomfortable with because it's not asking you to buy my service. It's asking you to put your reputation on the line and recommend me and refer me to somebody else. And that dynamic creates a lot of uncomfortableness when we're forcing someone to do it with our ask. So when we're in prospecting mode and we're thinking about how do I get the trigger, the natural advice has been, well, then ask. Same advice with paying. Oh, you want a referral? Then pay for it. Offer commission, offer a kickback, whatever it is, right? Then you pay for it. Those two pieces of advice that we've had forever come from the prospecting mentality. And then when you're told to be really overly promotional and gimmicky, like put in your signature line, the greatest compliment you can give me is a referral, right? Um, or you like send out some like cheap, right? like I saw somebody on Facebook posted the other time, it was like a bag of sweetest fish. And it was like, I'm hooked on your referrals. And I'm like, oh my gosh, right? So like overly promote, and some people love that stuff. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it if you love it. It's just, you don't know if the person receiving it loves it. And that's the issue, right? And so they ask you to be really overly promotional and gimmicky, right? Put it in your email signature line or send out gimmicky things like I'm hooked on your referrals. And that comes out of the marketing mindset. So if asking and paying comes out of the prospecting mindset, being overly promotional and gimmicky comes out of the marketing mindset, which is, hey, I know this is not short term. There's some longevity to this. It's going to take some time before these referrals start coming in. And I've just got to constantly be reminding you, not asking you, but reminding you for those referrals. And that happens in that marketing mindset because we have a little bit of a longer runway. My argument is stop thinking about referrals like they fit into prospecting mode or they fit into marketing mode and create a referral mode or a referral plan within your business. Then when you start to look at referrals outside of the old advice and you start to look at referrals as how they're actually truly happen, which is a referral comes from someone who knows somebody who has a problem and they want to help the person who has that problem. And the help they're gonna provide is the referral, the recommendation to you. 
You're not the hero of the story. You're not the reason the referral happened. It's the referral source who knows somebody and also trusts you to solve their problem. So when we look at referrals for how they actually happen and we look at the psychology and the human dynamic and the true definition of what a referral is, when we look at that, we realize, actually, this is about the referral source helping somebody that they know. That's ultimately what this comes down to, the referral source helping somebody that they know. So in referral mode and when we're doing our referral plan, we're focused on developing better relationships and taking better care of the referral source. So we're not directly talking to the prospect at all in the referral plan. We're talking to the referral source and we're cultivating that relationship with our referral sources. Now, there's language we need to use. There are specific memorable and meaningful touch points that we do so we can stay top of mind. There's a process, there's a system behind it. But the basics you need to understand are, hey, look at it from the perspective of referrals come because somebody trusts you and they have a relationship with you. So make sure you have the right relationship with your referrals and stay connected to your referral sources so that referrals can come. And then that's when I teach the language piece of like, and then how do we plant referral seeds so that those referral sources do think of us in a referral in a referral way? I absolutely love that, Stacey. Um, especially that idea that the person who's the hero is the referral source. And a lot of times, um, especially if we go back to that kind of prospecting mindset, Sometimes in sales, we like to be the hero. And you can still be a hero in this story, but you do have to remember that, as you said, the one who's putting their reputation on the line, the one who is going to be perceived by the person as a, as a problem solver for them, as the first problem solver for them, is going to be the person who says, hey, you should talk to this Stacey Brown Randall person. <laughs> she will help you with that problem that you have. That person then, if, if, you know, if they then follow up with you and have a good experience, they're going to think, wow, Elizabeth is super smart. She connected me to just the right person to solve my problem to meet my need. And so what can you do to make sure that you are enabling that in people? You know, I would love to have a lot of heroes around me who are bringing business to me. That doesn't hurt me. That doesn't make me look bad if I've got all these people who think I'm the best and think I can solve problems for their friends and, and coworkers and people that they meet. So that's such an incredibly important kind of shift in focus. Absolutely. And I think it's what's important about that shift in our mentality and that shift in what we believe and that shift in focus is when you truly think about it, it's like getting back to the way business was meant to be done, right? It's taking care of people. It's building relationships. It's staying connected. It's being top of mind. It's it's knowing that, that making sure that they know that you care about them and you appreciate what they do for them. I, I think when people when they start paying attention to what I teach and particularly for those that end up going through my growth by referrals program, I think that there's this idea that they come out with that. Cause I hear them say it to me all the time is this is way simpler than I thought, but you do have to understand how the pieces fit together. But this really is just being a good human. And that's kind of nice. Most of us want to do that, particularly when what we've been told is that we have to go be an uncomfortable human and ask everybody for referrals. And when we can switch that, everybody is better off for it. Definitely. We have, a, we have a core philosophy at Criteria for Success that people want to contribute. And a lot of times people get caught up in a really kind of misanthropic mindset of everybody in the world is bad and sleazy and they're all trying to trick you and get things out of you for free. And we really need to fight against that. If you believe other people are good and other people want to contribute and want to help people, 
and then you're doing your part and you want to help people and you want to contribute, um, you're actually creating more good in the world. And I'm not a firm believer in the ideas of like karma, but I do think if you do good and people see that, and then in other people around you, you work with people who are also doing good and you're cultivating a network of people who are good people who work hard to contribute, other people are attracted to that, who value the same things you do. And you'll end up being a lot happier and a lot more successful and a lot more effective um, just through that powerful network of, of great people that you've built around you. Absolutely. I could not agree more. All right. Now, a little bit of a counterintuitive switch, but I know you can handle <laughs> it. So um, in August, we are talking about handling objections. I'm like referrals, objections, what? But I know that you hear a lot of objections about referrals. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So of course, when people are first understanding that I teach how to get more referrals, right, there's lots of objections that they have. That's really this deep seated kind of rooted mindset about what referrals look like and how we're going to get them. And so a lot of the objections that I hear when people are first being open to the idea that yes, you can get referrals and yes, you can get them without asking is what I mentioned a little bit earlier, which is that they've always been told they have to ask. And so it's a little bit of a, an objection for them to kind of overcome that and think to themselves, wait, I can do this without asking? Yes. It'll take a little bit slower. It takes a little bit longer to get it going. But when the, when the trickle turns into the snowball, the snowball turns into an explosion, right? Because asking feels so fast. It's just so it's just such a poor way to do it because nothing usually comes of it. So you have to get out of that activity mindset and into the results producing activity mindset is where I want you to be. So I do hear those objections with people like, oh, do, do I have to ask? Do I have to pay? You know, what is this going to look like? But those are the objections I think most people can understand and that they can see like, of course, there would be someone who's wondering, how do I make this happen? How do I make this work? Um, if I'm not asking, if I'm not paying, if I'm not being overly promotional and gimmicky. And I think that's one of the things that I try to teach people and I try to help them understand is, is that I want you to be a normal human speaking normal language when you're talking to your referral sources and really developing a relationship with them. And so when I get people past the easy objections like, oh, I don't have to ask, I don't have to pay a commission, I don't have to be gimmicky and promotional and cheesy. When I get them past those objections, right, the next two big objections I really hear from them have a lot to do with control and they have a lot to do with that idea behind it taking a lot of time. And I tell folks that if you want to generate referrals, you can have control over the referrals you receive. You cannot snap your fingers and all of a sudden, boom, look at there, Elizabeth just gave me a referral because I snapped my fingers at her. Like, I'm not talking about that type of control, but I'm talking about following a system and a process that you're consistent with and you do it not just once for a one hit wonder, but you do it consistently year over year, you can start to cultivate a pipeline of referrals. It may not be the only way prospects come to your business, right? But you can start to cultivate that ongoing consistent filling of your pipeline by referrals. Um, but you're going to have to be consistent. You're going to have to do some work. So the first objection they always have is around this control factor. Can you really control referrals? No, you can't snap your fingers and demand someone give you a referral. It's not magic, right? But there is a system that you can follow that will give you what you need and the tools and the strategies that you need to be able to start producing those referrals and make them consistent because they think to themselves, well, that's going to take a lot of time, right? And then that's the second big objection I always hear from people is I don't have a ton of time. And my, my 
always my response to them is like, good, you don't need a lot of time, but you do need some time. And so I always tell folks, if you're wondering about, should I even be paying attention to referrals in my business? Why don't you look at all the activities you do now to bring prospects and pay attention to all those activities. You know, how many networking events are you going to? How many BNI groups and leads groups and networking groups are you a part of? You know, how much money are you spending on PR or advertising or Facebook ads? And what are you doing? To, how many trade shows are you attending every year? Like, look at all the activities that you're doing, and then be able to map those to who, which of those activities actually produced not only prospects, one level deeper from prospects, but then also paying clients. And when you're looking at that prospects that are coming from those activities, my guess is you probably have some that aren't serving you well and they're taking time. What if you just suspended those, keep the ones that are working, suspend those and put that time into generating referrals. But I tell folks, it, I mean, outside of going through my program, regardless of that and the time that it takes to do that, which is a couple of hours, but the execution of what you need to do to generate referrals, you're not even going to do something every month unless you receive a referral. And then you will write a handwritten thank you note. And that probably will take you about four minutes, a little bit longer. And you have to write slow. Um, but outside of that, there's some months we don't do anything because we're not trying to like be keeping in touch with people. We're trying to be top of mind. We're transcending keeping in touch and becoming top of mind, which really allows us from that perspective um, to be a part of the person's kind of sub subconsciousness, right? And how they kind of think about um, the world is because they feel taken care of by us. So we're not doing things every month or multiple times a month. So you will save time in execution, but still, Yes, there's time involved. Most things worth having and worth maintaining do take some work. And this is no different. Definitely. Um, it's so interesting that you mentioned timing at the end because that's something I was thinking of when you were talking. I actually interviewed somebody named Craig Elias um, back a few episodes ago. And one of the things that he is all about is you need to be in front of people, um, whether it's a direct prospect or whether it's a referral source at the moment that they're thinking of you. And whether that's because you've done the pre-work and built the relationship so that you're you're always going to come up when they think of something, right? Whenever they think of referrals, they think Stacey Brown Randall. The referrals, you know, you just correlate in their mind. Or yes. you need to find a way to, um, if they're searching, if they're looking, if they're asking when something is top of mind, you show up there. And so doing that pre-work, building those relationships, building that network, if there's a hundred people out there who anytime referrals come up in conversation, they think of you. That's a powerful network to drive people to you in the moment that they're actually interested and curious and engaged, or even in the moment that they're in pain and struggling and really need to solve the problem. Absolutely. And that's what I tell folks is, is that this idea behind being top of mind allows you to kind of reside in their subconsciousness to where when that topic comes up that they know you can solve, they're not going to think of anybody else. But here's the thing. If you go six months without doing anything, you, you don't do run the risk of like not being remembered. And that's the worst. And so there's one concept that I teach inside my program that talks about this whole idea of memory runway. It's kind of like the, what you do at the top of the runway has you remembered longer than what you do at the bottom of the runway. And I tell people the bottom of the runway is email. If you think you can maintain referrals coming in by just shooting an email every 30, 45 or 62 days and just saying, hey, how's it going? Not going to work. 
not going to work. That's not because that's not impacting how they feel about you. And that's the important thing I think people need to understand is referrals come because somebody feels a certain way about you. It's that Maya Angelou quote that says, um, I've learned that people don't always remember what you say or what you did, but they do remember how you made them feel. So we have to make sure our referral sources feel a certain way by what we're doing. That's that memorable and meaningful right, outreach that we do to them. But it doesn't need to happen every month. It doesn't need to happen every week. And it sure will never, ever happen every single day because then you move yourself into stalker category. But there are things we need to be doing in a consistent, ongoing way, you know, a handful of times throughout the year that allow us to be residing in their subconsciousness. So when those opportunities present themselves, they're on it. They're like, I wouldn't think of anybody else. You've got to talk to this person. Definitely. I, I really, really, I, that's one of my favorite quotes that you referenced. And it is so incredibly important. Um, and as you said, you know, it, it's a variety of types of communication. It's also being sensitive to different people and what they prefer. There might be some people who will say, never email me. I get, you know, 300 emails a day. And I don't want to get emails from people unless they're related to projects that I'm actively working on. But if you text me, I'll see that amount of making smile and I'll respond. And so getting to know people at the level that you can even have that kind of conversation with them is also incredibly important. Yes, very much. All right. So you wrote a book. I did. In the intro, it is called Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. So it's very much tied to what we've been talking about. But can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your book? Absolutely. So the book kind of helps you understand and overcome this bad advice mindset you may be in about, oh, no referrals for me because I don't want to ask or pay, right, or be promotional or gimmicky. So it talks about kind of the history of that a little bit and kind of get has you understand why you don't have to ask and looking at what we've been talking about, the human dynamic and psychology behind it. It talks about, you know, how tools that we try to use um, aren't necessarily going to be what's going to generate the referral explosion that we want. You know, send out cards, that type of tools, they're great. And I tell people, to use them, but you have to use them in a very specific way when we're talking about it from a referral perspective. So people look for like online platforms where people can just refer me on this online platform. I'm like, that's not how it works. Not if you want consistent referral. So the book kind of goes in and breaks down things that we've been thinking and new ways of, of a thought process. And then the, the big part of the book that I would always direct people to is I take each of my five steps in my five-step process to how to generate referrals. And I break them down chapter in five separate chapters that walks them through exactly what they need to do to start generating referrals. Like, what are those steps? What do we need how to do? I've been talking about like being top of mind and memorable and meaningful. And you got to do these touch points and this outreach. Like, it's a chapter in the book that talks about building your referral plan and what it looks like. So the book really allows it to break down not only the why I want you to think different and making sure you can define a referral correctly and learn a little bit about my journey and how I discovered this process, but then also the meat and potatoes of, okay, here's what these five steps look like. Um, and that it gives a really, really strong overview and goes deep in a a couple of areas so you can really understand actually how to implement um, some of the things that I'm talking about. So that's probably the best overview I would give of the book. It's like, you're going to get into it. And you're going to be like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, and here comes the things now that we can do. And there's those five steps broken down. I love it. Um, I really like that you mentioned a lot of times people think there's going to be this new gimmicky silver bullet that's going to solve a problem <laughs> for me. And it's so funny. Our topic um, for the month of July was about adapting to shifting markets. And we had a lot of good conversations in the blog and in the podcast about what do you do to stay on top of things and stay ahead of trends. And sometimes you do need to learn about the latest technology, the latest system. 
But one of the things that comes out over and over and over again is that we just need to get back to basics. And we need to get back to, like you said, being a good human, (laughs) being a real human. And there's so much power in that. And we're so always looking for what's the, what's the, you know, get rich quick scheme kind of of sale. (laughs) What's the magical thing I can do? And a lot of it is just, hey, be a real person, get out there, interact with real people, contribute, stay in touch, maintain relationships. And wow, it's magical. (laughs) It is. It is. And I do tell people like, and uh, there's a, a specific chapter I would tell people to go to is, you know, the way we get referrals to actually happen and more consistently, other than that great overview and synopsis you just gave us, there is some specific language we need to be using to plant referral seeds. There's a chapter about that in the book. Um, But that idea of, yes, everything you just said, plus I want you to sprinkle in a little bit of what I call the secret sauce, um, which is the language we need to learn how to use. But I will tell you one thing, the language I teach people to use is very conversational. It's very normal. And there's not one hint of asking. Um, And so planting referral seeds is the easiest thing you can learn to do. You just need to learn how to do it. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's, you know, there, there are specific things. And it's so incredibly important to think about it to develop a process. You know, a lot of times we think that, oh, get back to basics means do whatever I feel like in the moment. That's not true. The basics have always been have a system, have a process. And so you're giving people the system and process, but it's not be a really weird, uncomfortable, strange person <laughs> talking in ways that people don't talk um, and hope that you've somehow tricked people into giving you referrals. That's definitely not the system you're giving. <laughs> right, exactly. No manipulation allowed. Nice. All right. Well, I'd love to hear from you. What's something that you've learned in the last few years that has changed how you think about business or how you think about sales? You know, I would say that most of the things that I've learned about how I'm managing my business today and how I'm growing my business and what I want for my business in the future, they really are rooted in some of the key lessons that I learned from my business failure. I mean, I created an entire company to help other people to learn the one thing that I know if I had business number one never would have failed. And that is this referral process and how to generate referrals without asking. And so, and that's that feeling of the pipeline. Like that was the biggest overarching lesson that I learned. But, you know, I also pay attention to some of the other lessons that I learned when my business failed. And, the, and one of them was, is that you cannot scale your business when you're drowning. Like that is not the time to think about scaling. And so I carry that nugget with me forward. And when I started my business and coaching practice, I was like, okay, you cannot scale when you're drowning. You cannot scale, you know, obviously when your business is failing and you're drowning or you're so, so busy, you're not going to give the time to think about it. Let's think about it now. And it was a really, and it was a really important pivot point for me as I started my coaching practice to just be honest with myself and like, look, you're going to hit a ceiling. You're going to run out of hours to sell. You're a one-to-one business and productivity coach. People buy an hour from you. That's what they're paying for. You only have so many hours. So it was forcing me to have get really honest with myself and be like, you're going to have to figure out how to scale. And I'll be honest, I had no idea how I was going to scale my business. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, I knew I wanted to maybe have more of a, you know, now I have more of a national and international footprint. So I knew growing to help more people around the world, not just in my area was really important to me, but I didn't know what that was going to look like until I truly found my referral process. And I'm like this, I can take this and I don't have to teach it to someone with them sitting across the desk from me or them on the phone with me. I can do that, but I can also take this because it is so actionable in bite-sized pieces and there's such a process behind it that I can instantly put it right in an online platform where anybody can access it. And that's how I figured out that, hey, I'm going to scale. And so paying attention to that has been a huge lesson learned for me. And then learning how to scale my business in the online platform has been a 
massive learning curve to learn and to overcome, but I wouldn't change a thing. And it's been great. And now to know that I have students in my Growth by Referrals program represented in six different countries. Like that's incredible to me. Like we're in Australia and New Zealand and Germany and Canada and um, UK. And then of course we're in the United States. Like that is amazing to me to think that I'm helping people all around the world. And so that's definitely been a lesson learned from my business failure that I've actually been watching over the last three to four years really come to fruition for myself. That is wonderful. I'm always amazed. I've had um, a number of clients in Australia and New Zealand how they are just completely used to working at very unreasonable hours because it's unfortunately the business world is so weighted to whether it's Europe or the U.S. time zone. Yes. And up at three o'clock in the morning. How hard to you? I cannot do that. Yeah, like, that is awesome. That is not a reality that I'm used to or that I understand. <laughs> yes. We were doing a lot of, um, let's see, it was like 7 a.m., 7 p.m. meetings which is not too unreasonable on either side, but is kind of stretching each person outside of uh, standard business hours. Unfortunately, we were both able to make that happen, but it, it's it's an adventure, that's for sure. That's so true. <laughs> All right. Um, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure our, our audience would, we always love to hear, especially from authors, what are some of your favorite sales and business growth books that you would recommend to our listeners? Absolutely. So one of my favorite business books, so I usually, there's some like, oldies but goodies I usually always talk about, but I've read some recent ones over the last couple of years that I'm a little bit obsessed with. Um, And so the first one I would say is actually um, Profit First. So I'm not sure if anyone's been on the podcast and they've mentioned Profit First as a great book to read about how to make your business profitable. I mean, it is just fantastic. Um, It's by Mike Michalowicz. And so that's a great book to check out. I also read a great book on how we finish the things we start called Finish, and it's by John Acuff, I think is how you say his last name. Sorry, John, if I just butchered it. Um, But those two books, Profit First and Finish, are books that I've read within the last year or two that I just think are fantastic. And they're old concepts applied in a new way, helping people make change. And I really like books that I can read where I can take actionable items and then actually implement to see change happen. It's how I try to write my book, Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. Um, And I really resonate with books that do the same thing. Excuse me. And I would say Profit First and Finish are two great considerations. Love that. And I especially like that those are books for business owners or people that are, you you know, key leaders. A lot of times we're recommending sales books and we know a lot of our listeners are in sales but it's also really important to um, to be giving recommendations to our audience of business owners and entrepreneurs and people who are interested in starting a business you need to be thinking about profit and you need to know how to finish things so two great recommendations there Mm, thank you um, I don't want to actually get off the um, off the podcast without mentioning again that you have your own podcast called The Roadmap to Grow Your Business. I don't know if um, if we talked about that before, but I'd love if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast. Oh, sure. So yep, it's called Roadmap to Grow Your Business. We talk a lot about referrals and what we need to know about referrals on the podcast, but I really look at it from the perspective of the people that I am trying to help and I'm trying to reach and that my programs are built for. Yes, anybody in sales can use them, but they are specifically designed. And I do have a lot of sales teams that go through my program to learn how to generate referrals without asking and listen to the podcast. But I am speaking to a very specific audience, which are typically small business owners and even, of course, in cases, solopreneurs um, to help them understand how they grow their business 
because I know if I had a roadmap to follow, like if I had had some of my, my programs that I have now, I wouldn't have had a business failure. So yes, we talk a ton about referrals and what we need to know about referrals and how do we nail the thank you card and promo swags killing your referral strategy. Those are just a couple episodes that came to mind. So we do talk a lot about referrals, but we also talk about that sticky client experience so that you can have a foundation of being referable. And then we also talk about business growth in general, setting goals, you know, finishing things, obviously, and making sure that we have the right mindset around it too, from a business growth perspective. So those are probably our three main topics that we dive into. All right. Well, I listened to a couple episodes of that as I was preparing for this recording. And I definitely recommend to any of our listeners who've been hearing this conversation and want to hear a lot more from Stacy that you should definitely check out her podcast. She does a really good job Thank there. Thank you. All right. So here at CFS, we talk a lot about sales playbooks. We're a sales playbook company. And we are always looking for useful tips that our audience can share in their own playbook. So what is one actionable tip that you have that our listeners might consider adding to their playbooks? So I have two, but I'm going to honor your request for one by making an assumption. Well, I'm going to make an assumption with number one. And the assumption I'm going to make, because you talk to people who have, who are in sales and the number one thing that anyone in sales knows they need to be doing, and if they don't, they quickly learn they should be doing, um, and I'm sure it's in their sales playbook, is the ability to track where your prospects are coming from so that you know which sources are working. So I teach people how to track the referrals that they're receiving and tracking by the, the not just that this person was referred, but who referred them. Every referral source is a human, so I need a first and last name unless they're Madonna, right? And so here is, um, is that we're looking at it from that perspective. So I'm making the assumption that your folks are great at tracking and they have those tracking mechanisms in place. And so when they receive a referral, they're capturing who referred them, who's that referral source, what's that referral source's first and last name. So making that assumption, I'm going to give you a different actionable tip I want you to take. And that is, as I always find that what people don't pay attention to, and it doesn't matter if you're the business owner or if you're just a member of the sales team, you need to know where your referrals are coming from. If you've generated referrals recently or in the past, you have a very valuable list of names that you should pretty much have memorized, which are your referral sources. So in the book, if you get the book, Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, and you go to chapter eight, I'm going to detail out, it's step one of my five-step process, I'm going to detail out how to to identify your referral sources. It's a quick process you can go to if you have the data, a little bit of a longer process if you've got to walk down memory lane and find this information. But it starts by identifying who are our clients and where did they come from. And if we know where they came from, then we know who the referral sources are. It is so important for us to make sure that we can identify who our referral sources are, because how are you going to build a relationship with them? How are you going to be meaningful and memorable? How are you going to stay top of mind? How are you going to plant referral seeds if you don't know who you're doing it for? And so we have to start at the beginning, which is who are your referral sources, right? That's step number one. It's how I teach it. It's how I think everyone should go through the process is first identify who are your referral sources. Then you know what, then when you start building the what, you know who you're building it for. And it'll help you identify if you need more referral sources as well. And so that would be the one actual tip I would give folks, go to chapter eight of my book, figure out exactly how to go through the process of identifying your referral sources, which really is identify your clients and where they came from. And then that'll tell you who your referral sources are. That is so incredibly important. And like you said, it's amazing how many companies aren't doing this. It's important for another reason that um, I think maybe you touched on, but I'm going to really emphasize here. You have some different types of referral sources. First of all, you have people who have given you referrals that have turned into clients. 
you want to make sure that those people appreciate you and like you and uh, think of you more often because they clearly know the right kind of prospects to give you and they're doing a good job of representing you. Then there's a second type, which is almost equally important. This is people who give you referrals that for some reason don't close. So they want to help you. They want to give you business. They want to give recommendations, but either maybe they don't really understand who's a good prospect for you, or they're not communicating about you very effectively. So it's not really resonating well. These are people who are really potentially able to move into that first bucket. And it's good to know who they are so you can have a good conversation with them and say, you know, I really appreciate that you consistently think of me and keep bringing me referrals. And I'm sure it's a little frustrating to you that all these people that you think of, you know, you might not be aware of this, but um, we haven't really been able to, to get business from anybody. You could probably communicate it better than I just did. Um, you know, can, can we talk about this? Because I, I really want to add value to people. And I know that you, you think I can. Um, but let's work this out. And you might turn somebody who's given you a lot of referrals that have never closed into somebody who suddenly starts generating referrals from you that do close. Yeah, you know, and I actually talk about that as well because I think it's really important to understand not only do we need to know our the the ratio of the number of referrals we're receiving, we also need to know our close ratio by referrals as a source in general and then by individual referral sources. And so one of the things I teach is like you need to track the outcome, right? So you can know, hey, you know, every time Elizabeth refers me, I'm closing like 90%, but every time Tim refers me, I'm closing like 20%. Exactly to what you said, more than likely you're not being set up correctly or Tim doesn't understand who your ideal client is. And there is specific language in a conversation, kind of like you mentioned, that I tell people to go through so that they don't make the referral source who has a low closing ratio. They don't make, you don't want to make them defensive and you don't want them to think they're now supposed to qualify clients for you before they send people your way. But there is a way to get them thinking about you differently. And that's one of the things I teach. And I think it's important for folks to understand that, yes, I want to know your close ratio by referrals, but you should also want to know your close ratio by referral source, because that helps um, really streamline, like you said, moving people who you have a low closing closing ratio with into that first bucket of a high closing ratio. So absolutely. Yeah, we've had some clients who really overvalue a specific referral source, an individual person, or even a, a company um, that, you know, the, the various people there might be sending them business, not realizing that they're not sending business, they're sending bad leads. And there's somebody else who's just quietly handing you, you know, once a month, somebody that closes and becomes a really great client. And a lot of times, we don't have a really good sense of who those people are. And it's a lot of times, the ones who are getting the most attention are maybe not the most effective. Absolutely. All right. Well, it has been really wonderful talking to you, Stacey, but I'm looking at the clock and realizing that you probably wind down. So if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Yep. So my home base would be my website, which is stacybrownrandall.com. And Stacy is spelled with an E. So stacybrownrandall.com is a great home base to kind of find, you know, you can get information on my book there. I have a seven day referral growth challenge. If you want to take it, there's a quiz you can take to figure out if you're a referral ninja master, or if you're maybe at a level or two below being a referral ninja master, I will tell you only 2% of the thousands of people who have taken this quiz are actually at the referral ninja master level. So you can figure out where you are. There's just tons of great resources there. Of course, you can find me on social media. I'm also, you know, on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter as well. And Instagram, those are probably the areas I hang out the most. But I would also really encourage folks who are interested, just grab my book, Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, listen to a few of my podcasts, you know, start realizing how I teach. And if it resonates with who you are and how you want to develop referrals, then definitely reach out. 
out and get in touch. And we can talk more about like the programs that I have. Um, I do one-on-one work and then I also have my online program as well. But I always tell folks that quiz, that referral ninja quiz, you can go to stacybrownrandall.com forward slash quiz, take that quiz and you'll know instantly really where you stand and understand just why the questions I'm asking in the quiz, it's nine questions. It's super simple, super fast. But in those nine questions, you'll realize, oh, I have some work to do or nope, I'm in really good shape. And you'll know by um, the level of a referral ninja you are after you take that quiz. All right. So I'm going to start calling you a referral ninja master. <laughs> thank <it>. you. <laughs> all right. Thank you so, so much for being here today, Stacy, And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. You can find the notes for the show and resources for everything Stacy and I have been talking about at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod175. And we will include a link to that referral ninja quiz. Tune in next week for a very special episode with George Jansen. He is a Vistage chair and coach. In the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where our intern for the summer, um, our sales and marketing intern, Michaela Bella, is going to be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback, topics, questions you'd like us to address, guests that you would recommend we talk to, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you are enjoying the show, we would love to hear about that. Please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you find your podcast. And while you're there, ratings and reviews are incredibly helpful. They will help more people find the show. And they tell us what's working and where we have some room to improve. We read every review carefully. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchand, and me, Elizabeth Hunt. Happy selling!